Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com. Hello, everybody. Oh, how I've missed you all. We here at Harmonics are so proud of some of the, well, all of the artists that we've had our first season of the show. So we wanted to give you a little rebroadcast of some of our favorite episodes because so many of these powerful women are having the most incredible year. And we just want to make sure that you know their names, you know their stories, you learn from them. And so today, one of my favorite women in the world, Mickey Guyton, if you don't know her music or you don't follow her on social media, it is a must. She's had the most incredible year, the Grammys. She hosted the ACMs, the success of Black Like Me, And her Bridges EP was incredible, and now she just announced her first full-length album, Remember Her Name, that's going to be released in September. I feel like this is one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had in my life. I am in awe of Mickey. Now she is a mother as well, so maybe we could get her to do a part two because I would just love to hear all the knowledge that she now has in motherhood as well. Her journey, her story, her vulnerability on this episode is unparalleled, and I am just so, so excited for you to hear it again or for the first time. Enjoy Mickey Guyton. How are you? I guess that's a loaded question in these times, but I like to start these interviews with really genuinely checking in. You know, I'm I'm living my best life in my apartment here in L.A. It's you're in LA. Yes. Yay. Yeah. I've been, that. I've been stuck here. So my husband started a law firm out here in LA, but we've been long distance for almost 10 years. I sacrificed my relationship for 10 years for wow. Nashville. Yeah. Wow. You're like, <laughs> that's because I'm married to an actor and we've gone six months where he's done a show in Charleston and I was on two girls here but like 10 years, we've never done that. Wow. I guess distance does make the heart grow fonder. True. And it's also, you both have to be busy. You really, if one isn't busy and the other one is, it's, or is not, it just does not work. You both have to have equal happiness in your jobs. 
And that's part of the other reason why we, we sacrificed our relationship because he wanted to start a law firm. Wow. And he took the bar out in California. So it was like, he's his own boss. I'm kind of my own boss and it just works out, you know? That's awesome. So you're, you're quarantining in LA. Yes. It was, you know, at first it was all about trying to make silly videos. Oh, we're just in the house playing video games. Oh my God. Everything's so funny. (laughs) Then shit was not funny anymore. (laughs) And just seeing Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, all of that happening. And to see your, your country music community seeming like everything's okay. And I'm like, Stuff is not okay right now. (laughs) Like, how are you okay? It's just been devastating. Yeah. Really, like, the state of where we are, there's just so much confusion and necessary anger amongst so many people. It's just really sad. 2020 really did not turn out the way I was planning on it being. And my nails are atrocious. My eyebrows are like, uh, I know. It's, my God. It's it's crazy. But you were saying about the country music community during the George Floyd and, and when all of the protests started and that something shifted for you there. What did that look like? Well, I had felt this, my career had a complete standstill. I had, right before even quarantine, I had released this song called, What Are You Gonna Tell Her?, I was getting ready to be released, getting ready to do a music video, all that kind of stuff in my career just stopped. And then not only did it stop, then there was so much social unrest. And I went from worrying about how am I supposed to promote music during a time and how am I supposed to make any money to, oh my God, I've got these songs of healing that can really you know, help people like my song, Black Like Me. And I went from my career being to us at a complete standstill and me in the darkest space of my life to me being pushed out to the forefront with these songs. And I was just like, what is happening to me? It's, it's just crazy how, you know, God works in the craziest ways. You can have your be in the darkest moments and have some of your biggest breakthroughs, honestly. And that's kind of what's happening for me. But it feels weird because there's so much suffering. Like people are like my brother-in-law can't find work and my husband and I are supporting him and he hasn't gotten a single check, a single unemployment check, not a single one. I, we have a bunch of friends that have either that lost their jobs right at the beginning of the pandemic. And now since the pandemic has gone on, have lost them. And we feel the same way. It's heart wrenching that there's, there's no real help happening, no, but thank no. God you and I are both in a position where we can help yeah. those we love. Thank Absolutely. God. But there's so Absolutely. many people that don't have that love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're in such a rock and a hard place to have your music being recognized and you're like, yes, that's so good, but we're still in such a bad space emotionally in so many areas of our lives and in this country and in the world. (laughs) But music is so, especially your music. And I definitely want to talk all about black like me because 
my mom actually sent it to me. I think she was one of the first ones who like, maybe she saw it on your social media, but she was like, this song, you have, who is Mickey Guyton? You have to listen. Like, oh my God. And uh, what I was- I love your mom. I, she loves you. She's so, if she was here, she'd be like, can I come watch the Zoom? Because she's obsessed with you. Um, and I've like since been telling everybody to listen to you and your music, but- can you talk about, I love uh, sort of the story behind Black Like Me. I want to talk about that. And I also want to hear about your sort of going against the traditional way of releasing a song and doing it through social media, because I think it's had such an impact. Well, I went to, I studied Black history in college and I read this book called Black Like Me. And it's written by a white man named John Howard Griffin, who through radiation darkened his skin to look like a black man in the 1960s and traveled to the deep south to see what it was like to be a black man in America. And it's such a prolific book because it's from a white man's perspective. Whoa. <laughs> you know, and it really goes to show that we really have to step outside of ourselves for a second to step into somebody else's shoes and to see what it's like to, to live different than you. And there's so many great quotes in that book. If you have not read it, it's called Black Like Me, written by John Howard Griffin. And that book just always stuck with me. And the reason why I even started writing it was because I was in Nashville, doing Nashville the Nashville way, the good old boy's way. And it was not working for me at all. And I was failing miserably. And I remember asking my husband one night at some bar here in LA, I said, why do you think it's not working for me? And he said, because you're running away from everything that makes you different. Oh, wow. The smallest statement was like one of the biggest things. And I feel like in general, we all run away from everything that makes us different. And so I went from trying to write country music from what I thought the, pers the perspective I needed to be writing from. And I wrote it from my perspective. And they say country music is three chords in the truth. So my truth is I'm black. I'm a woman. I live in America. I've been in this skin my whole life and it's not necessarily easy. So I started writing from that perspective and black like me was one of the first songs that I wrote. And it was crazy because I, I, I never thought that it would ever get the light of day. And I didn't even think anybody would even want to write this song with me, but I wrote this song with two white guys and another black girl. So two black girls and two white guys wrote this song. And it goes to show that you can really step outside of yourselves and write from somebody else's perspective. And it was so beautiful. We wrote it. One of the writers says, I think we wrote one of the most important um, songs of your career. Wow. And it could make people very angry. <laughs> And that's where that song came from. <laughs> wow. It took years and years of me finally accepting who I am to finally be able to write a song like that. It's a hard life on easy street. Just white painted picket fence as far as you can see. If you think we live in the land of the free, you should try. 
That's incredible. I, I love that. And how long had you had this song before you released it? I have had this song since March of last year. I wrote this oh, wow. song March of last year. And I remember I wrote it at a writer's retreat and I hate writer's retreats and the the common denominator or the common response that everybody that heard the song was like, this is a powerful song. I need to sit with it. Meaning this is a powerful song. I don't know what to do with it. And everybody was just trying to wrap their brain around how to release a song this important in a genre that doesn't necessarily or hasn't in years been singing about their truth. It's been very much so very surface, in my personal opinion, from what I've seen. And trying to write through that was very difficult. Trying to write music to fit in that world when they want, all they want is light and fluffy. And my life is not light and fluffy, just like most lives are not all light and fluffy. And three chords and the truth, you know, I mean, country music, it should be uh, telling a truthful story. And, and most of our favorite country songs from the past have. Absolutely. And yours, Black Like Me, it does that. It's three, it's your three chords and the truth. It's my three chords. Maybe it's more than three chords. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It's a lot of chords. It's a lot of chords. Beautiful. Um, Thank you. So you're then, so it was March of last year, but then your choice to release it on social media, what was that sort of deciding factor? Was it impulsive? Was it like? It was very much so impulsive. I had watched this horrible video of Ahmad Arbery running in a neighborhood and getting hunted by three white men. And I have a brother. I have nephews. I have a father. And it was, it resonated to me because I've lived in all white neighborhoods and that could have very much so been us had our neighbors not known us or had our neighbors been racist like that? And they weren't. And I was so broken down by that. And I was like, I have this song that I've had for a year just sitting. It's been mixed. It's been mastered. And so I just screen recorded on my phone a clip and just put it out there on my social media. And I said, this is for Ahmad Arbery. And I didn't say anything else. And the response was just so like, oh my God, we need to release this song. And I still didn't say anything. And then Breonna Taylor died. And then mm. George Floyd died. And, mm. and seeing that man gasping for air was so gut-wrenching. And so I posted it again. But this time I posted it on my Instagram and I posted it right there front and center. I didn't ask my label. I didn't ask any questions. I just put it out there. And this was before Blackout Tuesday. And it was like the Friday before Blackout Tuesday. I, Cause I'd gotten such a big response from the song being re- just put out on my social media. I called up my manager and I was like, look, I know we haven't had a plan to release this song. We were actually about to do a paper challenge for what are you going to tell her, but it just did not seem right to do. And so I like reached out to my manager. I was like, look, 
we really at least need to discuss starting to release Black Like Me. Like at least have the discussion. Monday morning, my phone was blowing up. Spotify had heard the song, asked for the song to be released on Blackout Tuesday. And they were like, do you have the song ready? What do we need to do? I was like, it is mastered, printed, ready to go. Take it. No promo. Just put up a black picture. Don't even put me on there. Because really, the song is my life, but it's not about me at that time. And it just took on its own life. I've never had something go viral before. How, I mean, how has it been... The only thing I can relate to that experience is like, you know, getting two broke girls sort of overnight and the 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 going from sort of being um, not talked about as much to like overnight. Were you scared at all or did you have uh, have you had challenges with with the sort of beautiful like, you know, people are are loving your music and healing from it. But have you been scared? Oh, yeah. My room is right over there. And I stayed in my room that entire day. I didn't leave the room except wow. to like use the restroom because I was so terrified. And I remember crying to my husband. I was like, I don't want to disappoint anybody because I don't see myself as an activist. There are people that are such bigger heroes that don't get talked about at all, that are on the front lines of the battlefield every single day, fighting for black lives, fighting for equality in whatever capacity that might be, whether it's gay rights, whether it's women's rights, whatever, that are not getting talked about. And I just was releasing a song about my pain, so I felt a lot of pressure from that. And I just didn't want to disappoint anybody. It's a weird, you wait your whole life. Oh yeah, girl. <laughs> for that moment of like, you know, feeling vindicated that people are finally recognizing you for your work. And I finally had that moment and I was terrified. Yeah. In my room, at one point in time, the record label was talking about having to get me possible security in case I got death threats. I've never gotten any death threats so far, thank God. It's actually been a very positive response, but to even have that discussion terrified me even more. I was like, what is terrifying about my, my life, being a black person? That's, I'm just like you, you know? <sighs> yeah. I mean, that's what people, I think, are hopefully starting to realize more is that Ahmaud Aubrey, you know, even you releasing a song on Instagram that is impacting so many people in such a positive way, you have to worry about death threats. I mean, that's... Yeah, you have to be openly anti-racist. Openly anti-racist. Yeah. Yes, there was a time where I was opening um, on a tour with a major artist and I was doing an after show signing and I was getting ready to hug a kid with Down syndrome who was so happy to meet me. And as I was getting ready to hug him, someone said, everybody's waiting for the N word. And I had a line of people oh. and not a single person yelled at whoever said that and said, absolutely not. Nobody said anything. They, they said something quietly to me and it, it meant a lot. But at the same time, I was standing there in that moment alone. 
And that's what I mean that you have to be openly anti-racist because I can tell you this, if someone dares says something about you, I will openly outwardly say, absolutely not. I have been called a bitch for standing up for a girl at a concession stand at a movie theater when the man was yelling at her for the movie not turning on. Like I will be uncomfortable. It's it's in my nature because I know what it's feel like to be bullied. I know what it feels like to be the bully. Therefore, it's so important for you to openly stand up and say, no, it's not okay. <laughs> yeah, it's heavy. Yeah. And I, I just, it was so emotional hearing that because I just can't imagine standing in that line and hearing that word and not one person came to your, to anything. I mean, I, it's, it's, we need to hear this because this is. Yeah. I've sang at concerts where the Confederate flag was waving oh. right in my face and. I, again, I was alone and that's why people are so big on black lives matter. And it's not saying that other lives don't matter. It's just saying that black lives matter too. And in that moment I mattered, but I didn't feel like it. And I was probably one of the only people in that whole arena, that whole amphitheater. And I felt very alone. How did you navigate that? How did you take care of your mental health and your wellness? Or was it faith or what? It's the sad part is, is it's something I've grown up with since I was a little girl. I've experienced racism at a private Christian school that I had to go to because the public school that I was supposed to didn't want black kids at their school. So I'm still, you know, it's, so I'm, it's something that you just get used to. And that's the problem. Like we shouldn't Shouldn't. be used to it. No. And so now that the veil has been lifted and even white people are like, this is not right. Even country artists who this is not their natural state to be Black speaking out for marginalized people is not a political movement. That is human rights, period. There's nothing political about it. But in the country music world, people aren't used to to speaking out. We're supposed to just love God, love our country. That is it. And be a source of love. But you can still be a source of love and stand out for marginalized people. But with that said, a lot of country acts and artists are speaking out against racism and they're just now experiencing the hate that I'm used to experiencing (laughs) literally on an everyday basis. I get it every single day. I try to even post one a day so people realize like I'm not making this up. Like people are coming for me on a daily basis. And I'm just used to it. <laughs> God. But, but here's the thing. Women are used to it too. And that is what people must realize. That women and the oppression of women is just as much of a pandemic as the oppression of black people. Let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> 
Yeah, and you're absolutely right. You have been conditioned since you were a young girl as a woman to um, deal with it and you have deal to survive. So, you know, especially in this business, I'm sure you've had oh, yeah. many uh, had my crazy men. Oh, me too. <laughs> God, <laughs> me too. And, and, and to the point where I went, well, I guess this is what I have to do in order. I to, just have to deal with it. Like, yeah, to make a living. Because if I don't, I'll lose my job. And then if I lose my job, I can't pay my rent. Yeah. You can't have children. You can't have a family. You can't support your family. It's, there is so much wrong with this world, with this nation. I mean, just being a woman in country music and seeing the oppression, the blatant oppression and discrimination of women within this format, whether it's the artists, whether it's the radio programmer directors, whether it's the executives in the offices, I've seen the most powerful women that are heads of companies still get oppressed, still get undermined, still being marginalized. It's so sad. <laughs> We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Are you... I mean, I've done all sorts of things during this time. Like I found cold plunges to help my anxiety. Even honestly, playing the banjo takes me out of my head and into my body, learning an instrument. Have you found any sort of like, especially during all this explosion for you, any practices that are like your go-to when you start feeling the darkness? <laughs> honestly, when I start feeling the darkness, I have been really following this whole black girl magic movement. And I've really been taking notes on what that movement is and what it's doing. And it's showing black women lifting each other up out of these oppressive times. And I've really formulated my mind from wanting all the attention as an artist to wanting to get ahead as an artist to thinking, we've all got to rise together, women, period. And I really just started kind of just mentoring. And when I find myself going to a dark place, I just try to encourage other women that I know that are going through those dark places too. And when I see them rising up and seeing them getting the courage to speak their truth, that is therapy for me. Because the more women can rise up together, honestly, mm. it's going to take a woman to do a man's job sometimes. Yes. And the more women can, instead of just being angry, but making solutions within lifting us up and mentoring other women, I'm sure you've met so many amazing young actresses that you are mentoring and helping. Like I didn't have that right. as an artist, you know, I'm sure you didn't have it either starting. Mm -mm. And we have to start taking responsibility and making things better. And that's what I've kind of started. That's kind of my healing is I'm not okay. Don't get me wrong. I go to really, really, really dark places quite often. But it's seeing those little tiny victories and me getting back up and trying again and me getting up and mentoring 
this new country girl named Raina Roberts, who's this beautiful black girl that is starting out and her just feeling like she's seen. When women start feeling like they're seen, we're all seen. That's what we got to do. Amen to that. <laughs> Nikki, you need your own podcast, girl. Uh, I don't know what you need. Just keep keep speaking out because this is, yeah, you are, yeah, you're just so special. I appreciate I, it. It's taken I, a lot of pain. I've I've felt a lot of pain for a long, long time. And again, when you're at your lowest of lows is where you can often find your biggest breakthrough. Mm. And I've learned that that it's that it's time to help other people and that's where you'll find your success. You can legitimately lift other people up and still have success and you will not have any less success doing so. It is true. Absolutely. Hey God, it's me. I hate to be a bother, but I could use a minute or two. During those traumatic times growing up and even through now, have you found that music has sort of been um, that you're, you channel those experiences through music or, or somehow heal them through music? Absolutely. Um, my when everything really started turning around for me, it was because I was going to um, emotional therapy with my husband. And that first I had had such a writer's block for so long because I was trying to write and fit into, I literally had a, a, a country radio promo guy say, why don't you write one of them cute little songs like, like Kelsey Ballerini and I, that'll get you played. I was like, first of all, I'm like almost 10 years older than the girl. And you want me to like, I can't, I, I've, I've got to like eat, de-age myself and I can't do that you know like I'm I'm grown and so going to therapy was the first thing to unlock my heart because my heart was on lockdown because mm. I was in survival mode you know and once that locked down then I started actually writing about it but writing about it in a commercial way and then trusting that this is the route that I'm supposed to take whatever country radio is listening to and asking for, that is not me. And when people want you to be an artist, don't tell them, like artistry is artistry. Like don't tell them how to be an artist, you 60 year old man. Yeah. <laughs> Art is subjective too. Like Yeah. And writing about these things, that's kind of what I, it was my therapy. And not only were they my therapy, but they were other people's therapy within the room which is crazy to think about. And I started writing with a lot of women, majority women who have a hard time finding their footing within the country music industry because everything is so hell, hell, heavy <laughs> male, <laughs> a little bit. Freudian slip. <laughs> <laughs> heavy male dominated and they can't even get in writing rooms. So I'm like, I'm your Huckleberry, write them with me. And right. we were able to just write true songs that we were all feeling in the room. And 
And then people started wanting to hear them because like you said, I was being my most authentic self and speaking my truth. And that's where we're at in 2020 is people want the truth and transparency, Mm. or at least I do. I do too. I think you're right. I think especially from art, even TV is going to shift. I'm excited to see what comes out of this pandemic and the truth that everybody's in their, you know, artist cave right now, quarantining and writing and hopefully, you know, hopefully enacting change through art. I mean, absolutely. That's what we all hope, right? That will come from storytelling because it, it's like you said, it's not only community, but it, it promotes empathy and people can see themselves in a story, or if they can't, they can learn from a song Mm -hmm. about black like me. They can learn what, what it was like for you as a child and feel that in their heart and then grow. Or when a father who or a girl dad, hears a song called, what are you going to tell her? Which I get a lot of common, a lot of responses from men on that song about, Oh my God, I have daughters. What can I do to change this for them? Do you let her think the deck's not stacked and gay or straight or white or black? You just streaming anything can happen. What are you gonna tell her when she's wrong? Will you just shrug and say it's good? We've got, again, we've got a lot of work to do. There's a lot. We got to start planning for our children, for that seven-year-old girl right now that has dreams of being a singer. We've got to change it for her. Who were those women for you or creatives when you were a little girl that influenced you? Dolly Parton was a huge one. I loved her so much, not only just as a singer, but as an actress. My grandmother was a huge Dolly Parton fan. So on the back of her door, she had Roots VHS tapes. She had Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers VHS tapes. And then she had fried green tomatoes and still magnolias. I I love love Southern movies so much. Me too. Also, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas is also one of my like kitschy favorites of Dolly's. But oh yeah, girl, Dolly and my family, like my husband got inducted into our family, basically like you're a part of our family by getting the signed Dolly Parton photo that goes around every Christmas. So like Dolly, and at the end of this podcast, there's a jolly question we always ask guests so you're you fit you fit right into harmonics <laughs> that's why I love her so much like the have songs that she I have girl and tell me everything well the huge reason why I love Dolly Parton as well is like her song Code of Many Colors is one of my favorite songs because growing up I had my mom had all of these ugly quilts growing up, like just horrible patterns, none of the colors matched, all those things. But it turned out my grandmother was so poor. She had 12 kids and she was so poor, she couldn't buy blankets. So she made quilts out of her clothes. Wow. Yeah. So there's like a whole like love I have for Dolly, but I snotted all over her because I was sobbing my eyes out. But Gail King set up this, love her so much. She set up this whole thing because she knows I'm a huge Dolly Parton fan. So on her show, CBS This Morning, she said she wanted to catch up up with me because I had an interview with her like six months prior. And I get there thinking I'm going to talk about music. And then all of a sudden this little tiny waist, big boob woman comes (laughs) walking around the corner and it was Dolly. 
And I just ah, screamed and all of those sayings. And ah, I just love her so much. Did she give you any like Dollyism, truth, or advice? No, or, no, no. I just snotted on her and cried yeah. and said, I love you so much. Cause it was her interview. I got kicked out. Ah. But I was just so happy to meet her. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh, she Dolly. Was just the, she's the freaking all of the things of life. Like she really truly is the change that we needed and will always need in this dark world. She was standing up for gay rights before, yeah. way before it was the end thing to do or the right thing to do. She was doing it before that. And I just love her. And talk about authenticity. I mean, there's someone and just, you know, I w- was it in her? Did you listen to the Dolly Parton's America podcast? No, I have not. Is it oh, so you will love uh, it. And in it, there they play interviews. I think it was on that. I've like deep dived into Dolly. I'm not sure where it was, but where she was on um, late night shows where they would comment on her breasts. And so the way that she sort of commanded her femininity and her activism was sort of like playing up to it and, and joking yeah. about it, but like yeah. in her own way that she owned as opposed to being victimized by it. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa. brilliant. Back then to be able to have a comeback even sharper than the late night, than Carson or whoever it was. Yeah. To have a sharper comeback that was funnier and kind of owned her femininity in a way. I was like, and you're right, the LGBTQ, right? And she's just, she promotes love. She's She really is Saint Dolly. She is Saint Dolly. I have a uh, Dolly Parton candle. Me too. You too. And speaking of, well, I guess this is usually one of the last questions, but let's ask you the Dolly question now. Yes, yes. We're talking about her. So Dolly question, true or false? You're going to know the answer. Dolly is covered in secret tattoos. I don't know this. Oh, good. Oh, good. True. You're right. It is true. And she says, this is, I I researched on the internet. This is what the internet says, that she um, does it mostly to cover scars and that they're all for her love, Carl Dean. I know. Stop. Is it not the sweetest? That is literally the sweetest freaking thing. I freaking, that woman. I just love her so much. Okay, so... You can only bring three records with you to a deserted island. What would they be and why? Whitney Houston titled Whitney with I Want to Dance with Somebody and So Emotional and all of the things because Whitney is part of the reason why I am who I am. Um, I feel like you have to have like some prints on there. Ooh, yeah. You know, maybe some purple rain. You know, just to get yourself and then anything Stevie Nicks, just because she's making this huge comeback with her song Dreams. Ah, I love Stevie so much. Have you been seeing all of her TikTok videos that people have been doing to Dreams? No, I haven't. Girl. I'm not on the TikTok. The TikTok, I, I spell it wrong. I'm so old. I have, I have, t- I have TikTok, but I, you don't I, use it. it's, I do not have time <laughs> to be on all these platforms. Like my husband and I, I'll have to send you the video. We did one dance video. I love to it. The t- to the Tizzy Slide by Drake. Uh-huh. That took us three days to learn. And it's the simplest dance ever. And you can't, 
the whole thing with TikTok is being natural, you know? Right. And so if I'm just in there by myself, it's like, am I trying to be Britney Spears or what? Like, I'm just, it's just unnatural for me. I know. Or I'll end up falling down. It'll turn into a pratfall. And then like, that's not the point of a that's dance not the TikTok. Point. I, I'm just not really good at it. It's just, I'm, I'm actually really, really bad about it. Um, is there anything you wish you could play or do musically, like a secret talent or something you've always wanted to learn how to play? Well, I took piano lessons when I was little and I was such a dumbass. I was like, I don't want to learn how to play the piano. Same. And now I really hate myself that I didn't learn. And when I have children, best believe that child will be in piano lessons. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to crack that whip and make that kid learn how to play the piano. You're going to thank me when you're older. Um, What subject do you Google the most? Uh, (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Which celebrity got plastic surgery and which one? (laughs) I'll be like, what did they get done? Who's their doctor? That's the best answer yet to Um, that question. (laughs) I love I have it. no shame. Oh my gosh. Has there ever been one where you're like, Ooh, that was really bad. You don't have to say the person. Cause that's not very nice, but I mean, like, there's, like, there's been a couple, there's been a couple, there's been a couple where I'm like, why suppression of women. We feel like we have to fit into a, a certain mold and not be able to age gracefully and beautifully, especially being on camera. There's so much pressure. It's true. And guys can just look raggedy. They get better with age on camera. The, the more raggedy, the better character roles yeah, they get. Yeah, exactly. My husband's like, give me wrinkles. Give me wrinkles so I can get the best character They were roles. like, take them off. What actress got taken off of like Chicken Run because she sounded too old? Oh my gosh, sounding too old? It's <laughs> awful. Oh, I'm like, man. so the chicken can't age? The chicken can't get a lot like real life. Right. Chicken's age. It's so messed up. Yeah. Oh, um, if you could stay one age the rest of your life, what would it be and why? I would say about 36. I'm 37 now, but 36. Yeah. I would say it's like the age where I finally was like, I got it. (laughs) I love that because I'm 34. I'm like, great. It's like 36. You're just like, oh, Okay. Yeah. It, it it was a turning point for me. I mean, you've had more success than I have. Not but, true. Not true. But but here, 36 was like the age where I really turned things around and I quit being so concerned about being left behind. Yes. You know, till it's like, I don't know, just being more confident and trying to change things and, and being more loving to to other women that are on their come up like it was just like a shift it was really weird yeah it's a good shift I have noticed that in my 30s in my 20s especially during the run of two broke girls you're just so worried like a about being left behind and also like what do people think of me Uh is everybody gonna like me I mean I'm still have people pleasing issues but I'm really I have such people issues it's so hard because if you're really truly in your worth and authenticity like we've been talking about it shouldn't matter because if it's authentic, it's coming from a truthful, loving place. And so it's like, yeah, there are some people that haven't done their own work that might be triggered by that authenticity, mm-hmm. but it's just so hard if you don't like confrontation and you want everybody to like you. It's so and worse. It, and it can hold you back as an artist. Because it can. It can. And like you, you just you don't said. Open your you mouth. 
Absolutely. You're not yep. speaking your truth, using your voice metaphorically and physically, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm learning to like say no. <laughs> yes. That's really difficult. And it's teaching me that like, I want to instill that in the industry that I'm leaving behind. Yes. That is time for change that you can still have success in your thirties and your forties and your Mm fifties, like that this whole ageism thing that they have, that's bad too. Absolutely. You know, and our bodies change and that's okay that, you know, it's okay to have you know, imperfect, quote unquote, what someone would call imperfections, but really it's just a part of the human body aging that, you know, that's curves. Has anybody ever been to the Louvre? (laughs) And you look at all the paintings and they're beautiful. And these women were thick as fuck. Yes, they were. I just learned, by the way, thick, and I'm loving it because my I have such a booty. And yes. my friend Marcel was like, you're thick there. And I was like, oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> Again, and that's women taking their power back. It's like women yeah. like Megan the Stallion who mm-hmm. celebrates her assets. Yes, yes. And especially I'm loving following, God, I'm blanking on the name right now, but maybe we can put it in the show notes. But there's this amazing, I think she was a model, but she's, showing like unfiltered and angles that are completely natural and she's had babies and what her body looks like. And I just find it so beautiful. Like it's made me embrace my own cellulite. Cause like, it's yeah, real. Cause it's real. Yes. Like, versus so feeling and looking and, and trying to be perfect in a size too. That is not natural unless that's your natural body. Unless it's natural. And also it's like not natural not to eat so that you stay a size two in your thirties. Like that is not natural. natural. My sister's an eating disorder therapist and I've learned so much from her and just it's, it's, that's a pandemic. It is. That's a pandemic. I've it, gone without to try to stay. We all have in this business. I, I know it because the pressure, especially in my 20s, that was when it was the hardest. It's so, yeah. it's absolutely miserable what absolutely. we put ourselves through. Miserable. Yeah. So again, that's what I try to encourage other artists that I know are on their come up in Nashville. I'll give them every piece of advice that I have so that they don't have to go through and deal with what I had to go through. Amen to that. Women have to step up. We have to speak the truth. Yeah. Yeah. We can't complain about everything and not be a part of the change. It's so true. We literally have to walk the walk. We've got to support each other. If you're a woman, you're not my competition. No, I've never felt like that. I know there's other women who have. I felt like that before. I really? felt. Oh, I've I always been felt, like, come, come, let's be together. Because I love collaboration. I'll really? say it. But then I'll be like this. It's her voice. Is she sharp? Is she flat? <laughs> you know, like, oh, she's better than me. Oh, well, that's fine. Because I've got this and I'm different. And, and it's this horrible, slippery slope. I'm being honest. I have no, absolutely I, been that way. So, yeah. And you, I mean, yeah, that's true. I'm, if I'm thinking about, it, of course, I've been jealous or lost out to roles or people where I'm like, but I could hit that high C for real. And right. You mm-hmm. know, whatever. Yeah. And I have to like slap myself out of it and be like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter. And everybody, there's a place for everybody. There is a place for everybody because we're all different. Exactly. And we're all in a, the same walk of life. And we're going to all at one point in time retire and go out and live a totally different life. And you're probably going to be this massive director or whatever, <laughs> you know, like 
finding and mentoring other women. But the point is, is if we can leave it better than we found it absolutely, and create plans and change for the future so that they are protected and think about it, even if they're, you know, in their twenties, they're an adult, but they're still a baby. Oh yeah. That actually is really inspiring, Mickey, because that feels like an actionable step of change that I physically can take. And I've been looking for more of those. I mean, this podcast was a catalyst of wanting to do that, yeah. but, but even more so really coming from the place of like, what do I want young women to see Absolutely. and how, what did I wish I had in my, you 20s? know, like look, show younger. them that, show them that they don't have to just deal with it. Right. Mm that there's so many that are probably dealing with it that have nobody to talk to that. Right. You know, I developed a drinking problem because I was dealing with it. Yeah. I did. I quit drinking. I haven't been, I haven't drank in almost 10 months. Wow. Good for you. That's amazing. And it like changed my life. And, you know, I was doing that to cope and to deal with it. And, and we have to protect even if they're a bitch, you have to protect <laughs> them. You don't know what they've gone through, yes. you know, and show them that they can still be successful and not have to put out or deal with. Oh, okay. Final question. Cause I could talk to you all day long. Right. I really could Mickey. This has been so much fun. I can't um, wait till we can meet in person. I was just about to say when we're allowed to hang out, since we're both in LA, you need to come over for dinner or we need I'm to so down. Okay. I'm good. so down. I'm so down. Oh, I'm making all these new friends through harmonics with these women that I'm like also like so in awe of their talent. But then I'm like, wait, can we be real friends? Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Bring the positive, good energy. The community of women coming together. Yes. Yes. Okay. So if you don't mind, this is called the blank room exercise. And I'd love if you close your eyes. Okay. Go into a blank room. Okay. What are you hearing? My mom. <laughs> Aw. What are you smelling? Um, Reese's Pieces peanut butter cups. <laughs> what are you tasting? Those Reese's Pieces <laughs> peanut butter cups. What are you touching? Um, my husband's hand. Aw. What are you seeing? Um, love. <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much, Mickey. That Absolutely. Great to end it with love. I love Thank it. Thank you. Thank you very much. This episode of Harmonics was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs. Our project manager is Shelby Williamson. And it's always made possible by the leadership of executive producer Amy Reitenauer Jacobs, research producer Courtney Locks, and the entire team over at The Bluegrass Situation. I'm Beth Bears. Thanks for listening. Stay vulnerable, y'all.